0: Thank you. Good morning. God bless you. Please be seated. We have a statement in our church, no friendship, no function. So if you want to work with me, you've got to be my friend. It's a bit of an Italian thing too, because I come from Italy. Well, my parents did. They were missionaries in South America, planted a church in South America. My dad planted the first Italian Assembly of God church in Australia. And so I come from a family, fourth generation My grandfather started the first Pentecostal church in southern Italy, and so. but then they came to Australia, they came, they saw, they concreted, and um, (laughs) uh, that's the Italians for you, you know. They've got a love for cement. I don't know why. My dad's house has got cement all around it. Everything's got to be clean, but uh, good morning. It's great to be with you. We've had an amazing time. I'm very honoured to meet your leadership, to meet Pastor Tark and family and wife and And we've heard also a lot about you and then to have Winky and Faye and Billy on the front row who've mentored me from a distance when I first started in ministry many, many years ago. Uh, We sat yesterday and talked about the old days and uh, some of you will remember Keith Green. And uh, my wife and I were in a music group that supported him when he came to Australia and uh, we got to spend some time with him only a few weeks before he passed away. His wife, Melody, stayed in our home. And uh, so it's worth doing the journey long term. Yeah. Uh, we need to be, make memories yeah. and, uh, and look back at the faithfulness of God. And for lack of time, I'll get straight into it this morning. But I want to speak to you. I am married uh, to the same woman. She hasn't spoken to me, as I told the conference, for four years. She didn't want to interrupt me. Uh, I'm the talker in our family. She's the quiet one, but has an incredible love for children. Uh, We have a little boy in our lives who's now was a little boy, came into our lives when he was only a couple of weeks old, his mother was suffering with postnatal depression and she had this thought of throwing the baby out the window, someone heard about it, to cut a long story short, he ended up in our home and uh, what was supposed to be a week has been about 17 years and um, one day as a little boy uh, he looked up at me while he was crying and And uh, I put my arms around him. His name is Ali. And I said, are you okay, Ali? And he said, Danny, I don't know what life would be like without you. And I lost it. And I said, God, help me build a church Uh that people who are broken in our community will say we don't know what life will be like without you. We have three children. Chris is 39, our eldest son, and he has four children. And then Michael, our middle son, many of you know a little of his story of his brokenness. And tonight I want to open up and share about that. If you come out tonight, it was about 10 years ago, God spoke to my heart about seven shakings that were going to come on the earth. I had no idea that one of those shakings would visit my home. And I'm going to open up a little bit about those shakings tonight, but with good news, because with every shaking, there's a healing, and God brings restoration, and we're in the greatest era, epoch of our time, as God is causing the church to arise. And with that in mind, I have a daughter, 32, Danielle, and uh, she's quite uh, a beautiful girl. She works with um, difficult children, awards of the state. Uh, she's, uh, she's not married. My two boys are married. And she just has a heart to give her life away to broken children. So I'm very grateful to God for our family. My wife Sharon's one of 10 and uh, grew up on a farm in Esperance, Western Australia, and uh, saw the hand of God on her family because they couldn't get to church and saw God literally move on their family as they did church at home on the farm. And I'm Italian and I'm an only child. How does that work out, you know? <laughs> But my message this morning is increased presence. Uh Increased presence and I want you to follow me this morning. I'll be as as simple as I can because of time. I wanna capsulate what God wants to say but at the end of last year, I was in worship just enjoying the presence of God in our church and the Holy Spirit said to me, get ready. Get ready for increased presence. Uh And when he said that to me, he said to me, What I mean is I want to be present. When we talk about the presence of God, sometimes we think about a feeling, an emotion, and it's all part of it. But I need God present in my life. You need God present in your life. We need increased presence. And as he spoke to me, he said this, don't waste my presence. Because my presence won't just touch you, it will teach you. My presence will train you, and my presence will take you to places you've never been before. We have never experienced an era in the life of our church like we're experiencing now. I'm no longer the senior pastor; I'm the grand pastor now. They've hand, they call me the grand pastor, and I've handed the church over to a spiritual son who I've been preparing for ten years, and I handed the church over to him. I rang him last night. There's hardly a conversation that we don't end up either laughing our heads off or crying on the phone. He said on Friday night, the presence of God was so powerful. He said we had 60 people in the middle of the worship come and respond to surrender to Jesus Christ on a Friday night service. We're seeing something about the presence of God. Let me tell you one story that just happened a few weeks ago. I was at home preparing and God said to me, I want you to preach out of Psalm 84 tonight. This was Friday night. Uh, Verse 10, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than stand in the tent of the wicked. And I'm preparing this message, not knowing that the worship team, now led by my broken son who's been healed, is having a time of worship before our worship team take up their tithes and offerings at rehearsal because they want to be the Levites that go first, ahead of the church. They want to lead by example. Our worship team, our our intercessors, we say, you are the army that goes ahead. And so they were in worship. And they started to sing, one day in your house is better than a thousand anywhere. Had no idea I was preparing that message at at home. I get to church on Friday night, the musicians get up at the beginning of the service and start singing, one day in your house is better than a thousand. And I thought, wow, wow. I'm preaching on that tonight. I jumped up. I stopped the meeting. I said, church, we didn't rig this. This wasn't planned. You need to know God is saying something. And we just sang it and sang it and sang it. Before I got up to preach, I said to my PA, can you get me the message version of Psalm 84? Because in the message Bible, and I didn't prepare it at home out of the message, but when I got to the platform or got to the church, I said, I just want to have a look at it in the message Bible. It says, I would rather sweep floors in the house of God than be in the palace of sin on the Greek islands. There's a young lady who's just become a Christian sitting in church. That morning, she's only a brand new Christian. She said, God, I need you to speak to me. She had just been invited as a brand new Christian. She's a professional photographer to go to the Greek islands and be a photographer for a gay wedding. It was her friend's that she knew, and as a brand new Christian, she goes, Lord, if I don't go, maybe they're gonna think I'm mightier than them and I'll never be able to reach them for you. Uh Yet I have a check in my heart that this might not be good for me as a new Christian. It was gonna be two weeks on the Greek islands where they were gonna have a major gay party, and she's not gay, but she was friends with these guys. And she said to God, God, you need to speak to me. And he put in her mind Psalm 84. That morning she reads Psalm 84, but not in the Message Bible, just in the New Living Translation, which doesn't say Greek islands and doesn't say any of that. So I get up and preach and say Psalm 84 and she's a mess. Already she's a mess. But then I said, church, I just feel to read it out of the Message Bible. And as I read it out of the Message Bible, she fell apart. I would rather sweep floors in the house of the Lord than be in the palace of sin on the Greek islands. She came to the front and cried. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. As I look back over my life, and we'll get to Scripture in a second, but as I, I want to inspire this morning, most of what we've built our church, and I didn't learn in Bible college, There's nothing wrong with Bible college and we need the theological training and we need all that. But I discovered early in my ministry that increased presence is more than just a feeling, but it's the steps of the godly are ordered by the Lord, that the Lord will teach us, He will train us, He will take us. At the birth of our vision in 1994, God said, I want you to serve the community with a message of hope, truth, and love. I had no idea what that would mean. But over 20 years, God has been so faithful with divine interruptions where his presence has done amazing things. Two years ago, a young man in our city was murdered. 19 years of age, someone, his friend under drug influence took a gun and shot him in the head. His mother worked in a funeral parlor. She works with a man from our church. And says, I am at the end of my road. My husband left me, we're divorced now. Uh, My son now, 19, murdered. And he was so popular at school, I don't even know where we're gonna be able to do the funeral. The guy from our church says, our church will do the funeral Uh because we serve our community with a message of hope, truth, and love. She said, you don't understand, I don't believe in God. Mm. He says, that doesn't matter. She goes, no, but I don't want you guys to do the funeral. He goes, that won't matter either. And she goes, well, what are you going to do? He said, I know I can speak on our pastor's behalf. You can use our building for free. And then says to her, and we'll cater for everybody. She goes, who does that? And he goes, our church does. And I'm not boasting on our church. You hear the story. When you hear the story, it is absolutely moving. And so eventually she comes to meet with Pastor Jonathan and she goes, who are you people? And he goes, we love our community. We're here to help. What can we do? 1,500 people turned up to the funeral and we did top quality catering for everybody there. Come on. At the end of the funeral, we went our separate ways obviously and she gets on Facebook and she says to all her friends, if you loved my son, I want you to meet me at the Glenelg Jetty this coming Saturday morning and wear a yellow T-shirt because that was our son's favourite colour and we're gonna go for a long walk from Glenelg Jetty to Brighton Jetty, it's a few kilometres, and we're gonna raise money for Edge Church. We had no idea. Never in our history did we realise that on the same week on the front page of the newspaper, The church is being accused for abusing children in Australia and and, and the scandals of the church. And for the first time in our history, we have an atheist who doesn't believe in God raising money for the church. So a week later, she turns up at our church, tears running down her face, and she goes, I just want to give you this. And Jonathan said, you don't need to give us anything. She goes, no church has ever done what. I've never seen a church do this. And she handed over a check for $4,000. She said, when people realized what you had done for us, they said, we want a partner in this. We said, well, we're going to pay it forward. And we're going to give it to the Childhood Cancer Association. One week later, she's back again with another check for $4,000. We said, what are you doing? She said, I went down to get my Toyota serviced. I was sitting at the manager's desk and telling him what the church had done for us. He said, any church that can do that for the community, I want to match what you gave. And he wrote me this check. The presence of God is married to the purpose of God. And I believe this church is about to go to another level of influence. Get ready. Uh Get ready to be surprised by heaven and for heaven to interrupt this place with fresh dreams and clarity about how to take the presence of God and see it touched a people that don't know that presence. Second Kings chapter 4, verse 8. This morning, we see the story of a woman who made room for the presence of God. I'll read a few verses. One day, Elisha went to the town. Ta- wrong one. Uh, yeah, one day. Yes, no, I had it right. One day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem, verse 8. A wealthy woman lived there and she urged him to come home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop in sometime to eat. She said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. One day, Elisha returned to Shunem and he went up to his upper room to rest. He said to his servant, Gehazi, tell the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Fancy the old man just being mentioned like that. You know? She hasn't got a son. Oh, he's just an old man. Anyway. Uh, call her back, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, Next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my lord, she cried, O man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant, and at that time, the following year, she had a son just as Elisha had said. If you continue reading the story, that little boy grows up and one day he goes out to the field and he's with dad out in the field and he gets a massive headache. He starts crying out, my head, my head, my head. And like any good father, he said, go home to your mother. And so he sent her home to his mother and uh, while he was sitting on her knee, he passed away. It's one thing to get a dream that you never asked for, that God puts in your heart and then that dream dies. How do you make sense of all that? Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But as I look at the story, I realize again that this woman, though she had everything that money could buy, realizes that she's never gonna be fulfilled until she makes room for the presence of God. Elisha's a type of Jesus Christ. And she wasn't just inviting a a prophet into her home but it was like she was inviting God into her house and she built a room above every other room. And as Christians, we've got to go from having a place of visitation to a place of habitation. I don't want Jesus to drop in and visit me every now and then. I want him to live with me. I want him to be in habitation with me. She wasn't satisfied with a providing God. She wanted an abiding God. A lot of Christians want a providing God, but they don't want an abiding God. We need to prioritize in 2015 as individual Christians the presence of God. Make a place that belongs to God above everything else. We so often want Jesus to drop in when we're in trouble. We want him to come for a visit. But as I look back over my life, and I want to tell you the truth this morning, people look at what we've done as a church, and people have done far greater than us. But I want to say this: I'm not a vision-driven person. Uh-huh. As a natural person, I just like to cafe, cook meals, hang out with my friends. Uh-huh. I'm a feeler type personality. I'm not much of a thinker. Winky and I get on really good because you know uh, I just drool when I hear you speak. But I'm not a thinker. I'm just feel it. Let's just do it. You know that's who I am. And yet, I realized once I get revelation, once I get into the presence of God and I get revelation from God, my life gets filled with passion. But my life gets filled with a passion that brings me to a place that drives me because I'm not obliged to. I don't feel I should do. I don't feel I need to. I don't feel I'm supposed to. I feel that I get to. I get to. I get to serve God. It's a privilege. It's an honor. We get to. You see, my rev- relationship, sorry, my relationship with God has helped me live in revelation. That removes obligation and expectation. And because of habitation, I live in activation. Do you like all those Asians? There's a lot of Asians in this church. This woman made room for God. Now, I, you know, I'm not a theologian, but one thing I do every day, and please don't take the simplicity of this. I, if every one of you in this room starts to do this, let me tell you, I have journaled all my life every day with God. I've kept a diary with God. All I do is I come to Scripture, and I come with expectation. Then I bring meditation, and then I ask God to give me application. Very simple. So every day I read my Bible and I come with expectations. I say, God, I don't know how to live my life without you. Yeah. So Father, as I read this and I meditate on it, just let me see those things that can help me grow and be what you want me to be. Too many Christians do God in the second person. We do God through church. Uh-huh. And if you do God through church, when your baby dies, you've got nowhere to go. But if you do God one-on-one, the church becomes an and. It's Christ and the church. And we build the church because we meet Christ first. And what we're doing right now in our church is we're taking churchians and turning them into Christians. We got churchians in our church that say, I don't read my Bible. I don't know my Bible. I just listen to the messages. I listen to podcasts and just hope for the best. And we're seeing people come and become regenerated over the last few years because we're teaching them to come and build a room above everything else for the presence of God. In that room that this woman built, there was a lamp, there was a table and chair, and there was a bed. And God spoke to my heart. He said, do you know how many Christian business people, do you know how many pastors are suffering with depression right now Do you know how many pastors in Australia, there's a man called Keith Palmer who is a Church of Christ minister who's a psychologist and he's booked up years in advance to talk to pastors who are on depression medication because of the pain of the church. And you know what the Lord said to me? It's because they sat at a table of preparation but never turned on the lamp of revelation. The lamp in this room represents to me as I was seeing this as God turning on the light of revelation so we can sit at the table of preparation so that we don't build out of reason but we build out of revelation. You see, churches are congregations of God's church, there's only one church, God's church, but congregations of his church are all called to do different things. And the last thing you need to do is copy what Danny's doing. The last thing I need to do is copy. However, when we speak, we spark one another up and in that comes the lamp gets turned on. See, the last couple of days, the lamp's been turned off inside of you past the time. And God's going to take revelation. And as you sit at the table and meditate on that revelation, he will show you what to prepare. Then you can lay on the bed of rest because that which God starts, He looks after. We don't have to get stressed. Show me the level of your stress and I'll show you the level of your trust. Because the level of our stress will show the level of our trust. And when my son hit the wall, I remember being outside my house and I was crying my eyes out saying, God, why, why, why has this happened in our family? Tonight I'll tell you the story. But as I'm outside our house, I cried out to God. And I said, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. And he looked down on me in my spirit. I thought he was looking down as a father looks down on his son. And he said, and Danny... I trust you and I go wow you trust me he said don't you think when I called you I didn't know what you were going to go through and I knew you could handle this and I'm trusting you I still felt a little uneasy and you know we went on a trip overseas and I won't tell the story now but I said to my friend on the plane, I said, I need God to tell me that it's okay because I don't know if I've got the energy to keep going. We land in London. We're in the Qantas club. A man comes up to my friend and says, hi, David, how are you going? Starts talking to him and then turns to my friend and he goes, are you... Uh, from my friend. He said, are you Danny O'Glamucci? I said, yes, I am. He said, 15 years ago, you spoke in Toowoomba, Australia at a youth camp. My two sons came to Christ. They are leaders in the kingdom of God today and God wants you to know, don't give up. Wow. That happened seven times in a row in a two day period from people ringing me from all over the world while they were in prayer in different parts of the world saying, Danny, don't give up. You see, I can't survive without the lamp. And today I just want to encourage many of you, because God's about to put responsibility before this house that's greater than you've ever known before and yet you're going to feel as a congregation, this is a privilege, this is a privilege, we get to be part of this. It's not going to be obligation, it's going to be revelation. And let me tell you, I've seen people serve God out of obligation and they get bitter, they get twisted, they get all hung up and I've seen people, because they've turned on the lamp, they've seen amazing things happen. As a church, we've never known what the next step was ahead of time. It's just been one step after the other as God's turned on the lamp. But he is so faithful that even if he turns on the lamp today and things don't happen for 15 years, he is faithful to that which he reveals. Yeah. I was 27 years of age and I remember God putting in my heart a dream that one day we would be in Singapore and we would be in England and I thought, that's, I don't know how that's gonna happen. To cut a long story short, we now have a campus in England in Bristol Our church is called to build according to the pattern and we're just down the road from John Wesley's chapel where the Methodist church was birthed. The word method, pattern, and the vision of John Wesley is exactly the vision that we have For our church. In Australia, we have the leader of World Vision called Tim Costello, and Tim's become a personal friend of mine. He was in England, he was in London, he caught a train to Bristol, he walked into our church, got quite emotional. He said, I feel like you're going to finish the work that John Wesley started. He said, I can feel the anointing of John Wesley in this house. We had no idea. It was a God incident, not a coincidence. Two years before, as I said yesterday, for those of you that were here, I stood in John Wesley's chapel and I said, God, do it again. God, do it again. And right now, our church in Bristol is reaching the poor and the broken and feeding people on the streets on Friday night. We drive past George Muller's place. We, we had the orphanage with the kids. And so, you know, we're continuing the work and we got senior people in the church Going, you know, when we were young in this city, we were praying for someone to come to finish the work that those that have died and gone to heaven saw in a vision. You see, sometimes what one generation will see, the next will complete it. We might not all see it, but it will come to pass if the lamp has been turned on. God told us to go to England and we've been there now about eight years. But Singapore never came to pass. And I thought, God, I don't know why. Maybe it wasn't meant to be. Until two years ago, a lady walks in off the street, we're showing a video on the screen of testimonies, and we show a video of my PA's daughter, who was supposed to die at birth, now 24 years of age, about to go to America to lecture in a college, and the miracle of her story. And a lady walks in off the street looks up and goes, I went to school with her. That lady, an Asian lady, Had not been walking with God for many years. Her dad, she's an only child. Her dad is a treasure of Singapore, Dr. Chow. His picture is in the New York art gallery of a wax picture that they did of him. He's one of the most loved men. He is 100 years old, just about to turn 100. Praying for his daughter all his life. And she walks in, sees someone she knows on the screen and she said that morning to God, I'm gonna walk into a church and I want you to be real to me and she just happened to choose our church. Didn't know much about us and walked in and sees the picture of the lady she went to school with. To cut a long story short, she gets to know my PA again, the mother, and tells her dad, rings her dad. Her dad says, I can't believe this. You need to bring these people over to Singapore. We fly to Singapore. We don't know much about Dr. Chow. We get picked up by a Muslim driver in a brand new Rolls Royce. I had just been in Cambodia going around in Tut Tut's. From a tut tut to a Rolls Royce. Because if you can handle the tut tut, God can trust you with a Rolls Royce. But just to keep me humble, I'd put my back out and I was in a wheelchair. So I arrive at the airport and they've got to wheel me in this wheelchair. God just was making sure I didn't get too carried away with the, I like cars. And when I got into that, just taking my shoes off and putting my foot on the carpet in that Rolls Royce, it was just amazing. We get to Dr. Chow's house. He goes, I've been waiting for this. Do you want to start a church in Singapore? We said, yes, we do. We've had it on our hearts for since I was 27. He takes us to the Ritz-Carlton for dinner that night. They came up and get us out of the car. They're all over us. He goes, any friend of Dr. Chow's is ours. Dr. Chow lived here for four years while they renovated his house. See that lift over there? You're going to go up in that lift with your wheelchair because that was built for his wife while she lived here because she was in a wheelchair and they had a special lift made just for Mrs. Chow. While we're having dinner, they said, "Uh, what are you here for? He says, well, we've met Dr. Chow. We're thinking about starting a church. Starting a church? Why don't you start it right here in the Ritz-Carlton? Oh, wow. I mean, this, this, that happens every day. <laughs> we will support you. We go home that night. Dr. Chow was 99. Then he's just turned 100 or, yeah, just recently. And we're sitting at the table, tears in his eyes. He prays in Chinese. He's born in China. Starts telling the story of his salvation and the many hospitals that he's built. Churches that he's built in China. And he goes, but my daughter has come to God and I need to do something. Writes me a check for $50,000. Hey, I'm telling you the truth this morning. I don't even have to pull the jokes out of the book. This is more inspiring. Because somewhere along the line, the lamp was turned on. And when you turn on the lamp, Uh we can sit at the table of preparation and then rest on the bed of relaxation and say, God, now it's up to you. Yeah. We've done what we can. And let me tell you, this next season's not going to come out of striving. This next season's going to come out of rest. Yeah. And I want to tell you this morning, okay. Pastor Tart, get ready. Team, get ready. But are we all prepared to die to self? Uh-huh. Are we all prepared to say, not my will, but yours be done? Yeah. God told me to hand a church over to a younger man when I had more energy than I've ever had and I could keep leading for another 20 years. But God said, I want you to go to the body of Christ. I want you to go around the world and I want you to help people build biblical pattern. I want you to bring the Holy Spirit back into contemporary church. It's one thing to have contemporary church, but we need the lamp. We need the lamp of his revelation. We need the lamp of his presence. As I look at this story, just some quick points if you want to write them down. Obviously, the first one is the one we've concentrated on, prioritising the presence of God. Number two, she didn't allow prosperity to rule her life. She had prosperity, but prosperity didn't have her. Number three, she was others-focused or people-focused. It's all about people, friends. You come to our church today and it's quite a beautiful, uh, it's an old warehouse, but it's done up in a way that the community can come in and just feel the love the minute they walk in. But I could worship anywhere. We had people leave our church that were spending too much money on the building, too much money on food. But God began to speak to me in my early formative years of ministry. He said, I want you to build a church that's like your home and that people can come and feel, I'm home, I'm home, I feel at home. This woman built a house because she was others focused. She wasn't self-driven, self-interest driven. She had prophetic insight. She knew this to be a man of God. Let me tell you, there's so much confusion in the church. Is he a man of God? Is she a woman of God? Is that ministry good on the platform? But what are they like off the platform? And there is a cleansing coming right now on the church where God is gonna rise up people that we can look at and go, that is a man of God. That is a woman of God. This woman was prophetic enough to know that this man carried the purpose and presence of God. And we're coming into a new day. It's not a day of legalism and rules, but it is a day of holiness where God is coming to the church and we're gonna be able to have prophetic insight and pass the tart. God's going to connect you to other men that carry your heart. We talked last night about Mary Elizabeth. When Mary met Elizabeth there was a leaping in the womb because when people are connected together by the will of God there's a leaping in the womb. There's going to be a lot of jumping around in the next few months and years. I prophetically state that. She had pure motives. If God will give me a baby then I'll build something for Him. No. Unanswered prayer did not embitter her spirit, but she was willing when God wasn't doing anything in her life, I'm still going to build for others and I'm still going to build outside myself. You see, it's easy to build. Well, you know, God, I'll, I'll do a deal with you, God. If you answer my prayer, then you can have all of me. No, he should have all of you because he gave all of him to you on the cross and we shouldn't be bargaining with God and whether you answer me for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, I'm yours, God, I serve you because if you never answer another prayer, you died for me and rose from the dead for me. I wanna build a place for you. She had pure motives. And then she didn't get bitter when her prayer wasn't answered. And she persisted when nothing made sense. She persisted when nothing made sense. She built in the good times what she was going to need in the tough times. So many Christians don't build in the good times what we're going to need. Now, God spoke to my heart. He said, it's interesting that a lot of Christians, when they go through tough times, they first run to the church. And Gehazi was the assistant of Elisha. So in my mind, it's a picture of the church. The church can never give you what only Christ can give you. And so many Christians get disillusioned when they hit the wall. Prayers don't get answered. I've tithed all my life. I've given. I've been to the prayer meetings. And then the church wasn't even there for me. And so many hurt Christians around the world. But this woman was smart enough that when her baby dies, She bypasses her husband, she bypasses Gehazi and she goes first of all to the place where the vision was prophesied. And I wanna say as Christians, when my son hit the wall, as a Christian, I had to realize all the conferences I've been to, All the great people that I met were not gonna help me in my darkest hour. I had to go back to my journal. I had to go back to the place where I've met with God and I had to say, God, is this for real? Do I believe the sermons that I've preached? I had to bypass the church in order to get help from the church. The church was there for me. My son is in a mental institution under police guard and I'm going to a mental institution in the afternoon back at church at night, worshiping God. Worship on Sunday morning in the car off to the hospital to visit a son in a mental institution. Some of it didn't make sense. But all I could do when even Christians were making accusations and saying, oh, well, this is the trendy churches of today and they put people on pedestals and the father never challenged the son. It's amazing how many people lived at my house that I'd never met. (laughs) And I wanted to die I was so embarrassed and yet I had to get to a point where it didn't matter what people thought. I had to go back to when I was 11 years old and had an encounter with Jesus. I had to go back to the suddenlies in my life. You see, you need suddenlies you can go to, but you have gotta do your every day. You do your every day and then comes the one day and the suddenly and I thank God for the suddenlies and I thank God for the one days, but I have to turn on the lamp every day every day as I draw to a close let me say prophetically this morning there are two types of Christians in the church that I want to refer to this morning, there's more but there's those who feel like their dreams died they feel like God you put all this stuff in my heart and everything's gone south I just don't understand but there's another group of people and you're here this morning where you feel like you've died You don't feel like the mother where the dream dies. You feel like the child that died. You feel like I've died. I feel like there's nothing going on inside of me. And what happens is Elisha has to go into the place where the presents had been prepared. And the boy is laid on the bed. And he lays on the boy and he puts his mouth on the boy's mouth. He puts his eyes on the boy's eyes. And he puts his hands on the boy's hands. And God said to me, when people are sitting in church that are dead on the inside... The things they say produce death. The things they see produce death. And the things they do, their hands are stiff and dried up. They don't serve because of all the pain and all the hurt. But I'm about to lay on my church again, and put my mouth on the church's mouth, so we will speak the promises of God, we will speak the unconditional love of God, he's about to put his eyes on our eyes, so we will see the promises of God and then his hands on our hands so we open up and serve not because we have to but because we love to and I want to tell you I'm going to prophesy right now there are churches in New Zealand and there are churches in Australia that don't seem to have the instant growth overnight become the latest fad in town become the latest of everything but because they've done their everyday well because we've stayed faithful because we've allowed our eyes to see the bigger picture we've allowed our mouth to speak the promises of God and where our hands are open to serve, the last shall be the first and the first shall be the last and God is gonna surprise the planet and there's gonna be churches that have stayed in the background for a long time and God's gonna say, I trust you, you've been faithful. Pastor Chow is a 100 pioneering a church with us, wow. plays golf every Saturday, right. every Saturday. It's 10.14. And I'm going to say, I have to go at 10.15. But I want to say this, you're wonderful to preach to because this is a house that's bathed in prayer. But can I say right now, can we just, just as we get into a posture of prayer, can you just put your hands on your eyes for a second? Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that for church unlimited, that right now you will open our eyes to see greater and bigger of what you've called us to do. Put our hands on our mouth right now. Father, I pray that you will put your vision in our mouth. Lord, put your revelation in our mouth. And may even since this conference, we go to the next level of where you're taking us and that Lord will begin to speak. And Father, let there be no voices of reason that go, that can't be done. We can't afford to do that. We shouldn't do that. Father, I shout, shut down the voice of reason. And I pray that our mouth will speak the purposes and plans of God. And as we open our hands out in front of us, yes. we say, Lord, use us. Yes. We, don't want, we don't have to, we want to. We get to. Father, we will build a room for you above everything else where you can turn on the lamp for us and give us revelation. We can sit and put down only the things that you tell us to write and we will rest and trust you for the best is yet to come. God bless you, church. Love you. I'll see you later on.